Hello, everybody. I just wanted to hop on really quick and give a trigger warning for today's podcast episode. The contents of this specific episode may be emotionally challenging. Today's podcast contains material that discuss sexual assault, themes of suicide, and overall death and dying. Viewer discretion is advised. We're really excited, by the way. I'm kind of nervous, I'll be honest. Yeah, our first guest was my husband, so it was like, yeah, come on in. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit lower stakes. So you're but... like our first guest. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. So my name is Sandy Bianchi. I am an end-of-life guide, a.k.a. death doula. I am a light worker. I'm a storyteller. Uh, energy healer. Could you explain what a death doula is and and what work you do? Yeah, so a death doula, you know, I shepherd the dying on their last human journey and assist the family in the process. Death doulas offer non-medical support, logistical support, which comes in the form of planning funerals, maybe life legacy projects, um, educating also the signs of when death is near, um, education of dealing, you know, with dementia or Alzheimer's, um, education of hospice, having the talk with family and taking the fear out of hospice, spiritual guidance. Um, I'm curious how you were drawn to um, this type of work and do you feel like it found you or did you find it? Uh, It's been a long path. I've had an intimate relationship with death since I was very young. I started looking into death doula work before the pandemic, um, and I actually had given myself a title of end of life guide at that time, and then during the pandemic, and I started looking into more training and started finding the International End of Life Doula Association, and then I started coming across the term of death doula, and then now it's just exploded um, a lot. My mission here is to, I'm here to share, we are here to share the great news, um, take the fear away from death. Our culture is awful, awful with dealing with death and our own mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm first generation Mexican, so I do come from a culture where we embrace it We celebrate death. Uh, We make a two-day event of having our ancestors visit. And during the summers, my parents would send my brother and I to Mexico while they were double shifts and another job just to save up for our first house when we were little. And my maternal grandmother was the healer of the village, a curandera. And so I watched her. I have many memories of watching her heal people, people coming to the house. But to this day, when someone passes, there's still uh, home funerals that are being done. You know, and they know how to wash the body, prepare it, start holding vigil. The whole community comes together. Someone's in charge of the coffee. Someone else in charge of the candles. They start coming in and just praying. And then the next day, carry the casket to the church and then to the cemetery, right? And then I would come back here and it's totally different Mm -hmm. here. Children aren't exposed a lot of times to funerals. It's like protect the children and you're doing such a disservice to them because then when they are faced with loss, they don't know 
how to handle it. It's like their first exposure. Um, embalming, you know, they don't do that in my mom's town. Yeah. They don't have those services uh, available, nor do they seek them. Um, and it's not polluting the ground as it is here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, coming here, and it's just so isolated. People are, you know, they die alone a lot of times, not in their homes. So that was another part of my mission. I'm like, you know, it would be beautiful if we had home funerals here. Mm-hmm. And we, and everyone came together to celebrate the end of someone's life, just like we celebrate birth, right? And we're getting there. I think we're in a great era right now. My near-death experience at the age of 14, it was the Friday, July 3rd, before the 4th of July in 1987. And I had my near-death experience. At that time, I was a very angry tween teenager. I had, by that point, endured sexual abuse um, from the age of four until the age of nine by eight different men on my father, my biological father's side. He himself, also a lot of sexual abuse from him, and I was just very angry. I grew up in Elgin, Illinois, and eighth grade I started hanging out with gangbangers, and I was getting bullied and harassed, and I'm like, all right, I better find a group to connect with. And again, I was very angry just from being so broken right from from the abuse and being a survivor of domestic abuse seeing my mother um, being abused also growing up and very angry so I start hanging out with these new friends and um, I invited them over and they came over with jugs of orange juice and I had never drank before and I didn't know they had vodka in them of course uh, got drunk passed out and then when I woke up I was in the ICU So the way I died was in bed laying, and so when I started throwing up, I choked on my own vomit, and that's how my death occurred. So that experience, and then my grandmother's experience, watching her, you know, watching home funerals, and in Mexico, being there present at home funerals um, with my culture, that has also led to this work, and what really tied it in was my stepfather dying in 06 and driving from San Diego. By that point, I had been living in San Diego for a few years and driving out to St. George, Utah to plan his funeral and put everything in order. And two years later, um, working in Puerto Vallarta, I got the call that my youngest brother, who was 18 at the time, committed suicide and getting on the next plane, flying home and you know, starting to, with the help of uh, my friends and my brother, you know, just starting to plan his funeral and dealing with suicide, his suicide, and, you know, taking care of mom and then my sister also. Um, yeah, all of those, those things um, started bonding me closer to death um, and with loss. And, you know, with every obstacle we go through such a metamorphosis. We either grow spiritually and go through this metamorphosis. A lot of us get stuck. Um, you know, we get stuck with addictions or we, we go the other way with me. I just felt spirituality coming more into my realm 
when I got divorced in 03 or I left my ex-husband, the next day I, I literally just left. And all I had was my car. And I had only been living in San Diego a couple of years. And I walked into this, um, the Mystical Dragon is this little metaphysical shop that still exists in Carlsbad. And I walked in there and I was pretending like I was looking at stuff, but I was really just like thinking in my head, what the hell am I going to do? Uh, where do I go from here? I have nowhere to go. I don't have many close friends. I just walked out on my husband um, with the clothes on my back. And this lady, this Native American lady, was walking around me. And after a while, she tapped me on my shoulder. Now, at this point, having experienced my near death um, at 14, I didn't become religious. When I came back, like, I became anti-religion. Actually, I became more science-based because what I had learned from the other side I knew we were doing it all wrong, and religions, all religions lead to God, but the religion that exists here doesn't exist on the other side. All the rules that religions have or that one's better than the other, you know? And so I became very anti-religious. So this this lady's walking around me. She taps me on the shoulder. She's like, I, I don't mean to startle you. Um, and I don't remember the, her exact words, but what I do remember is she said, I have a message to deliver to you. I just want you to know that you come with an army of angels. They don't even fit in the store. They're on the streets, out on the village of Carlsbad, and you are not alone. And whatever you have done, do not look back. You are on the right path. And she starts giving me all this information, and it was the first time I heard the term spirit guides. And she's telling me, you know, you've had a hard life, but you're on the right path. And so she's telling me all this stuff, and I'm looking at her like, who are you? How do you know what I've gone through? And just trying to, like, comprehend. And then as, and she saw the confusion on my face. She said, I will, I will let you be. And she said, oh, and one more thing that your spirit guides are asking is that you find your spirituality. And as soon as she said that, in my head, I'm like, oh, hell no, I'm not going to go into a church. <laughs> no way. And then she said, and that doesn't mean you have to go into a church. Mm. But look for your spirituality. So those words sat profoundly with me. Um, I didn't go, like, start looking for my spirituality at that moment. I continued on with life and had more obstacles, trials, tribulations, but... Yeah, the losses in my life along with that. I mean, just so many weird paranormal stuff has happened. And at this point, I don't question it. Um, I have also, through meditation, been able to go back and dig up my memories of my near-death experience and what I was told. Um, I didn't have a life review. I was too young. I did not want to come back. I was told I needed to come back. I was forced to come back. <laughs> when I came back and I saw my mom, um, I just knew in the depth of my heart, my soul, I'm like, okay, I only have five minutes and then I get to go be back with God and, and his love and go be with Jesus. And, you know, and I wasn't angry at him in a, anymore. Um, but no, I've been here since then. I didn't go back and that's okay. Um, meeting my husband when I moved here in 08, 
a year later, I met my husband, and he has been a godsend. He's just, we're oil and, and water, yin and yang. Um, he grounds me. And then what really locked it in, I never wanted to be a mom. Never wanted to be a mom. And so I move in with him. And at 40, surprise, we got pregnant. Um, and having her has just been, I mean, to have her, to have a creature, a human being, not only feel them growing inside of me and give birth to them, I mean, that's an experience. But then to have someone so vulnerable, so dependent on me, and to see how intimately just having that relationship of seeing something and a part of me, we're all connected, um, come into a life, but it's dependent on me. I have to bathe it. I have to soothe it. I have to feed it. I have to um, wash. And now I know how to be in that in that moment and how to do that so well when a human soul is leaving. But being a mom like totally took me to that next level. All of that has really brought me to this point and doing the work that I do. And it's fulfilling too. You know, a lot of people are like, ooh, that's so heavy. Like, how can you do that? Don't you just get depressed? And I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, when I'm in the space of someone at that stage of their life, there's no ego. Like, there is no ego. It has nothing to do with politics or what the noise going on outside of that room, that bed, right? And it really makes all my little stuff, like, nothing like this is nothing what I'm dealing with you know like this is the real deal right here this transition from this life to the other and it just fills my cup I mean I just come home so grateful Mm. you know so grateful and so blessed and just the honor to be there in the presence of that for others and their loved ones do you have any fear when it comes to being a death doula or knowing so much or being around it, do you have any fear? With my near-death experience, it has helped me um, explain what's on the other side for those who are scared. They don't know what's there. Um, I had a gentleman I sat with who fell ill with Alzheimer's, and he was already you know, nearing his 90s, or maybe he was 90. And I started visiting with him in April, and he passed in July, but it was my third visit. And we started touching on fears. He started talking about his fear of dying. And then I asked him, you know, I died once. Do you mind if I share that with you? And I shared it with him, and I shared just the beauty of what I saw and what to expect and that religion doesn't exist over there. So, And there's no judgment. There's just a lot of compassion and love. The heavy emotions that we experience in this human plane do not exist over there um, the way we experience them. And then he started crying at some point, and I'm like, oh, boy, I said too much. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, sometimes I'm an open book. Did I say too much? And he just started smiling. He's like, no, no. And he, and he was just smiling. He said, I'm actually looking forward to it now. I'm not scared anymore. I have gotten a lot of those results from sharing. And it's helped me in that way, sharing my experience. Um, holding vigils, another one. Um, 
with another patient, you know, his last hours, the hour before he passed, I crawled into bed with him. And I started painting the picture of, you know, is your dad there? Do you see your dad? Do you see, you know, your firstborn that that you lost, that called him out by name, the children that he had lost? Do you see so-and-so? Do you see the feast, the mariachis that are playing? Because his sons play mariachi, and he himself sang and played. And I could just see him smiling every time I mentioned and painted the picture. And I'm like, do you see the beautiful light? You know, start going into the light. It's okay. You know, and if I can do that, oh, I, I, it's an honor, you know. So you kind of already touched on this, but what would you say um, some of the most rewarding things about being a death doula would be? I feel so honored, again, to be in the presence of vulnerability and awkwardness. Um, to be vulnerable is huge. I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown. Yes. Right. She has that YouTube video about vulnerability mm-hmm. yeah. and shedding shame. Um, what's rewarding about being a death doula is when I can sit with someone and I ask them, what are your fears? And a lot of times fears come in the form of regrets, um, broken relationships, you know, and helping them, you know, assisting them. I can write a letter for you or we can make a phone call. Helping them come to peace and say what they need to say to those that they need to say it to, you know, say their I'm sorry's, um, I forgive you, and I love you. And also helping the family do the same, you know, even if it's too late, even if it's after the fact that their loved one has passed and they're like, I didn't get a chance to do this or say this. And it's like, you can still do it. Mm-hmm. Write a letter. They, they are right here. You just can't see them, but they're listening and they know you are forgiven. Also, transitioning someone, as I described before, to, to go back home. I personally get excited knowing that pretty soon they're going to see what I saw and experience what I saw. And then it takes maybe like three days to a week where I, they start visiting and I feel them and they start visiting me. Um, there's a light in my kitchen that never fails they start communicating through electricity I start seeing the signs the numbers 1111 I start waking up at 3:33 a.m. and when I wake up it's like okay who's here and then they just start coming through and I can just feel the love and I I'm with them even more than I was in this physical plane we are living in a great time of human existence on this planet even if it seems like the world is crumbling around us Think of it as the phoenix rising from the ashes. We need to do away with our old belief system, whether it be religious or scientific paradigms, and letting go of practices that no longer serve us and others. I love that. I have a I have an odd question for you, but it popped up when you were talking about um, how awkward that like that like 
you're in the most vulnerable, awkward part of someone's life. How do you get to a point where they trust you? Do you know these people beforehand or are you meeting them close to death? What is your process to get this most intimate experience with them? The fact that I love getting to know people, um, I start asking, my questions are like, are you a native of Chicago? Where did you grow up? Tell me about your mom and dad. Um, Do you have siblings? So I just start asking those personal questions. And once I start doing that, most of the time people like talking about their past, especially older people. They like sharing how they grew up, the times they grew up in. And then with that, opportunities just open up where I start sharing my life. What do you think the most important thing is about being a death doula or giving families and people an opportunity to have someone who's there to help them pass? On my signature of my email, um, there's a Cherokee blessing. May you live long enough to know why you were born. And for me, that's what it is. I can't speak for other death doulas because everyone approaches it a different way. Some people can't do what I do and they focus more on legacy projects or they're, they prefer just to plan the funerals and whatnot and not be so close to the transitioning of the soul. So for me personally is knowing that all the bad crap that happened to me when I was a child and I had no control over and all the shame and broken self-esteem that came with it. Like, I wouldn't wish a lot of stuff that happened to me to anyone, but I would not change anything in my life because I love who I've become. I love who I am. And all of that stuff needed to happen for me to get to this point. And now to be doing my mission, why I had to come back here, it's come full circle. Like, this is why I'm here and to share. If you could offer advice to someone who fears death, what would you say to them to comfort them? To comfort them. Um, The most valuable thing I can teach the living about death at this time is that there is a gentle way to leave, a good way to graduate from this human university of life, that giving love, gratitude, and asking for forgiveness to those around you is very important. Most of all, forgive yourself. Start with that and be kind to yourself. Love yourself and be compassionate with yourself. Then I would advise to start doing your life review now. Undo wrongs and ask for forgiveness. And most of all, say I love you to those around you, even if you think they already know and don't need to hear it because forgiveness is so powerful and transcending. I didn't have a life review because I was young. I hadn't really had any great losses. I didn't have grandparents. They hadn't passed away yet. I I didn't have anyone that had passed on that met me there. I had a higher being. I had my, my angel. I had Jesus, which I didn't know at the time was Jesus, who had once I went into the light and crossed over, he was there to greet me. Um, So I didn't get a life review, but what I do know with life reviews is that 
you have a life review and you feel the actions you did upon others by a zillion. So if you did good things to people, whether it was through a good action, a hug, or kind words, you're going to feel that a zillion times. And you're going to see the ripple effect it created in this ocean of our physical plane here. The same goes for those who did horrific things. Their life review, that's their hell because they feel those actions and the hurt and damage it caused by a zillion and the ripple effect. And their soul cleansing process is so extensive. And the shame that they feel is so extensive. Now, while that's going on, God is not judging um, because we are here to learn. And we all go back home and we're free from this physical body and plane. But, you know, you, you review that and you'll probably have to come back and start balancing out that, you know, some people call it karma, but you start balancing that stuff out, man. So start doing your life review now and freeing yourself from the negative cloud that exists in your being and start healing by forgiving. You know, some people have said, if there is a God, why can't he just make things right? You know, why are children suffering? Like, you know, why does this happen? And it's, you know, we come here with free will. We're here to learn. And if God could just step in and start doing things right and undoing our wrongs, there's really no point to come here because then we're just puppets. And he's this master puppeteer. And that's not our purpose for coming here. You know, we come here with the mission, but it can change. You know, there's plan A, plan B, plan C, D, E, F, because we have no control of the actions of other and their free will. And some will choose to hurt others. And that all comes from fear, from being hurt themselves. That's where that comes from. But we're not born evil. We're not born mean. We're a product of our environment and the things we inherit. Um, generational trauma, right? We're seeing that now. Crossing over um, is like a download. You know, you you get an app and you download and everything just downloads into your phone. That's how I feel what happened with me. It's like all of a sudden everything just was downloaded into me. Now at that age and in 1987, I didn't understand it and I had no one to talk to about it. So I repressed a lot of it, and I denied it, and I explained it away. But then with every hardship and loss, I've had like these updates, you know, when you have to update your app. And with those updates, I I remember other parts of my near-death experience, and they've been so profound, like, oh, my God, that's right. I remember the black void, or I remember seeing... You know, here, how many primary colors do we have? Like four or five? On the other side, there's like over 80 primary colors. I mean, just everything is so iridescent. It's like the Avatar movie. But in real life, you know, you go to smell a flower and it just engulfs you. Or you walk on the grass and the grass just all of a sudden starts covering you through everything of your essence and your being. I mean, it's just, you can't describe it, but it's just... It's surreal, and we're greeted with the deities or cosmic spiritual beings that we are familiar with in this physical plane because it eases the transition. 
that's reassuring to hear that this is not the only place and that, you know, there is you, you as a testament have been there and there is there is something greater than all of us. Is there one last thing or something you'd like to share with our listeners that you want them to hear or you think they should hear? Yeah, you know what? Let me leave you with uh, with this quote. Um, first, love, love, love. Uh, during spring break, we went out to Vegas um, and we saw the Beatles' love, Cirque du Soleil show. It talked about just all you need is love. Like love, love, love. Love conquers all. Um, if you're mad at someone, forgive them and just channel in the cosmic spiritual forces to just start feeding love into that person because that is what they need. Do not start feeding vengeance or spite because then you're just adding that vibration onto this world and there's enough of that going on. This French philosopher and Jesuit priest, I, like you guys had said, might butcher this up because it's French. Pierre Tillhard de Chardin said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And then I would just uh, promote our Chicago Death Doula Collective. Back in 21, a fellow death doula and dear friend of mine introduced me to four individuals in the Chicagoland area that also were looking into getting into this work. And we met, and that very day we started the Chicago Death Doula Collective Network. So I invite people to check out our website. It tells you all about what our mission is, and we hold many events. So check us out there. And that's also um, where you can find me. Thank you so much for being here and just for telling us your story and sharing all the wisdom and knowledge you've learned about death and living, really, because it's all, I think, the same. We really, really appreciate this, and thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.